Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Today, we are super excited to have the VP of media at the Hershey Company, Charlie Chappell, onto the show. We have to make sure in media that we don't go down that mindset. It has to be about how is it performing. And for the retailer, what I would say is, if you have some of the best performing media, you're actually gonna win even more of the business. So it's actually an incentive to perform better. And, and that's the conversation we've been having a lot of, with a lot of our retail media partners is how do you improve your ROI? Because the higher the ROI gets, the more investment that comes. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Do you think that retail media as a discipline should sit with the sales team or the brand marketing team? You know, you want me to get fired? I mean, that that's that's such a painful question. But I'll give you my usual answer. It depends. There are so many nuances that go into this, but I think one of the challenges, more than anything else, is about alignment of interest. And retail media is one of those things where it's a point of leverage. It's a point of leverage for the sales team. It's a point of leverage for the marketing team, for the brand team. I think we have to take a step back and say, what's in the best interest of the business? What do you think, Rach? What I think is that it's, it is a shared responsibility, but in execution, when something is shared and someone isn't the final decision maker, that often doesn't lead to greatness. I think it's just human nature. There's a quote, actually. It's from, I think it's from David Ogilvy. Search all your parks and cities, you'll find no statues of committees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where does the statue lie? Who gets the statue? Yeah, absolutely. Who owns the day? I find what Hershey's has been doing for the past seven years pretty fascinating. You know, Charlie's been there. Charlie Chappell, who's their VP of media, has been with the company for seven years. Retail media was always an area that they invested in, you know, given the category. 
And really early on, they recognize, well, someone needs to own this internally. And the reality is retail media is media, period. And Walmart's competition isn't just Target. It's also Facebook and Google. And you'll hear Charlie talk about this, but they made a decision early on that retail media should be owned by the media team, of course, with dotted line, really strong partnership with the sales organization. There's a subject matter expertise that has to be honed for things like this. I think the historical way of looking at things of saying, well, this is just similar to trade or shopper. And so therefore it should go to a particular group. I think it's got to align around where the talent sits and where the expertise lies. And in this case, that makes a hell of a lot of sense within Hershey. Yeah, absolutely. And he goes into it in great detail. So before Sarah and I spoil everything, this one is absolutely worth a bookmark and passing it on to your colleagues because I feel Charlie does an amazing job articulating how to execute this internally. Amen. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Sarah. Good to be on. How often do people say Charlie from the Chocolate Factory to you? Quite a bit. If you ever see me do a talk, I work it into sort of my intro slides because our offices are actually in the original chocolate factory that Milton Hershey built. So one of my kids came up with that many years ago. I said, Daddy, do you realize you're Charlie and you work in a chocolate factory? So yeah, it's pretty cool. (laughs) Very, very cute. Well, many things going on at the Hershey company. On the show, Sarah and I spend a lot of time talking about how so much of brand and commerce success is really based on org design within any of these corporations. And last year, Hershey's made some changes to its structure and eliminated the CMO role, which got a lot of headlines. And yourself and the chief creative officer, you're really leading the charge right now for marketing. What do you feel this says about the future of brands? Yeah, I got to give a lot of credit to Jill Baskin, who was our previous CMO and retired at the end of last year. And she was the one who really set this up and really had the vision of why she was here about how creative and media had to work together. And so really set up sort of my practice around media and analytics to really focus our effort on how do we make sure our messages are getting in front of consumers and then setting up an entire creative organization that involves more than just like advertising, it's design. It's like any touch point to have with the consumer and setting that up as a part of the organization to focus on that. And then how do we work together? Because here's the reality, like we can get a media, we can get any message in front of any consumer. That in some ways is sort of the easy part. But if the message that we're sending doesn't work, it doesn't resonate, it doesn't connect with the consumer, what's the point? So it really is the two of them working together. And so Ryan Reese, who's my counterpart, who leads all creative for the company, he and I, it's really about working together in our specific areas to really drive how this goes going forward. And we both report to the chief growth officer. So in that sense, we're both aligned on what our focus is, is to drive growth. We buy media to drive growth, makes creative and and design to drive growth. So we're all aligned in terms of what we're doing. So it's really sort of freed up our organizations to really focus in our areas of what we need to do, but then collaborate together to make sure we get the greatest outcome overall. Love that. I'll second the props to Jill. Jill was one of those clients that when we worked together at Craft and Mondelez, She was one of those people that you learn more from the client than the client learned from you. And you're just wondering who's, who's actually earning their keep. She always made me feel like I I, I had to continually step it up and just an overall strong vision and uh, massive attention to detail. And you don't see that very often. So clearly the blueprinting 
was there. And it's great to see you and the rest of the team fulfilling on that, but also charting new vision. And I think that that's one of those things that in this new structure, one of the things that becomes more expansive is the role that retailers play with media. One of those things that has changed probably drastically since Jill's retirement last year. That tension between brands and retailers is something that every supplier is challenged with. And as they start thinking through continued investment requests on retail media, how do you guys think through that, especially in light, which I love that you're reporting to the chief growth officer? It's very important. And it's something we actually started leaning into retailer media fairly early. It really came from the observation that retailers actually could be one of the greatest sources of information and data to make our media as effective as possible because in CPG, they control the sale. They have systems where they are capturing consumers' purchases down to the item level in their point of sale systems. And if they're able to connect that to an identity and then tie that into the broader digital marketing ecosystem, could be some of the best data that's out there. And especially like for us being, you know, primarily in the candy, mint and gum category, I mean, not a lot of our transactions are being done sort of directly from us in a direct consumer standpoint. So in a way I looked at it is this is how I can become more act like a DTC. Now, the challenge as we started to dig into it is that, and this is what I always say, outside of Amazon, these retailers, they are merchandisers first. They're not necessarily native, technologically digital driven companies. And so there was a lot of capabilities that had to be built by these organizations. So it's really going to be a question of how fast could they build those capabilities? How robust could that be to determine like, okay, how quickly is this going to be a viable place for us to put our media investment? And I'd say that's the other thing that we did very early on is that the oversight for that media investment from a sort of an enterprise standpoint really sat on the media team. We're tasked with where does every media dollar go? So in many of those very early conversations with retailers, it was like, okay, you have to realize we're not comparing you to other retailer media options. We're comparing you to every media option that's out there. So let's take a step back on that, Charlie, because that is shockingly still an anomaly in our industry. I know. So you're a trailblazer. How did you make that happen? How did you get the company aligned to such a no-duh way of thinking and do it so early? How did you do that without threatening your sales counterparts? Yeah, it really is a couple of things. One, we went down that path a long time ago when we quit looking at digital media versus linear media. When I first got the job seven years ago, it was like, you have to look at the total media investment versus like separating or performance marketing versus brand marketing. We don't use that language. It's just all media at the end of the day. And so as far as like working with my counterparts in sales, it was getting together and have very early conversations to say, what is the role of this going forward and how are we going to look at it? And so we established very early on that media is about performance. Performance is how is it performing against our KPIs. And here it's very clear the KPI is driving sales and doing so profitably. So how much incremental revenue is it driving and what's the ROI? And the ROI is what we use to make choices about where we're going to put our money, right? You compare brand A versus brand B, media partner A versus media partner B. That's really how a lot of those allocations go. So it was setting that up internally with our sales function from the beginning and then being able to go together 
to our retail partners. The best conversations that I were involved in is when the merchandiser was in the room and the media part of the retailer was in the room too. And we were talking about holistically, how do we go and drive the business going forward? So that was really a part of it. I'd say the other thing, and you're right, I still see it a lot of places where a lot of this is still siloed in shopper marketing organizations, and they're only comparing the investment between the different retailers. When you say, no, I'm comparing you to Google, I'm comparing you to Meta, I'm comparing you to you know the open web through your DSP, whatever you're doing, you really start to set the bar of like what media is. And you have to resist the temptation, which is only natural in the space, to look at this then like trade. Some people will come in and say they want to have a discussion about, well, the percent of your media you should spend with us should be a percent of all the sales that we do with you. And I'm like, uh-uh-uh, that's not how this works. And I think as the advertisers, now the advertiser who's buying from the retailer, you have to make that very clear that that's not how those relationships work. Because as soon as you get into that mode, then it's not about performance anymore. It's just about a figure, a dollar figure that goes in. And I think that's one of the things within the industry that we have to address. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Charlie, everything that you're saying right now, I think all of our listeners are head nodding and they're taking notes. You mentioned resisting the temptation of trade. Can you expand on that for our listeners? Yeah, and everybody does it differently. I mean, in how trade is done, and, and I'm not an expert here, but I go back to things like case rates. My previous employer, we would talk about that which is like, I get a dollar for every case that I sell or every item that I sell or something that goes into trade and that's what gets funded. That's how that's been set up over the years. We have to make sure in media that we don't go down that mindset. It has to be about how is it performing. And for the retailer, what I would say is, if you have some of the best performing media, you're actually going to win even more of the business. So it's actually an incentive to perform better. And, and that's the conversation we've been having a lot of, with a lot of our retail media partners is how do you improve your ROI? Because the higher the ROI gets, the more investment becomes. Can we go a little deeper on this one? Because it's such a hot topic. I feel like I, I certainly can say I'm speaking to our clients about this on a regular basis. And I know Rachel certainly is. Sure. The last thing that you had said about percentage of sales and allocation of media dollars to that that is like one of those things where it's so short-sighted because that's that's the equivalent of conversations we probably were having a decade ago on last click attribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a lack of understanding on the retailer side about digitally influenced sales or 
like other components that go into that? Like, how do you educate and negotiate basically without giving away the secrets? The trend is away from that. So it's not as common as it used to be, at least in our particular case, there are some who still push for this. I think A, it's what they know. Internally at the retailer, it's easy to have that conversation. I have some sympathy for the folks who are leading the sales organizations in these retailers because it's a different language than what they're used to. It's a different business model than what they're used to. And again, now they're selling, they're not buying. You know, they're they're used to being the buyers. And so I think they're like, they understand how they've operated with, you know, what I say is advertisers or producers or vendors in the past where it's like, okay, a percentage of sales you're going to put into this trade fund. And so sometimes that's just automatically where they go because it's something that's easy to understand. What we have to educate them on, and sometimes the person we're working with on the media side understands it, but maybe the rest of their colleagues in the organization don't because they're not used to it. This is how media works. Media works by you're selling media to us. Do you bring an audience? Is it the audience we want? Are your ad units effective? And what's the price? And we have conversations about it. And what targeting can I bring to that? And the better your offering performs, the more money you're going to get from us. Depends on, is your audience size big or small? Do your ad units work well or not? How do you price it competitively in the marketplace? All those things, it's just that's just how media works. And so there is a bit of an education that has to go in and understand how this all comes together. Like retail media, first-party data, which obviously is also a part of retail media, has become an industry buzzword. I know you have strong thoughts on the future of first-party data. I'd love to hear about it from you. And where my strong thoughts comes in to kind of take it up to a higher level, what I often find as a practitioner, meaning, you know, I'm at the advertiser, I'm having to buy media, is there's a lot of sort of black and white solutions out there. And what I find as a practitioner, you have to pick and choose from all of them and put them together to say what's going to work best for our particular business. So all the talk about first-party data is right and valid. It's out there. Here's my situation as a business. I play in a category, candy, mint, and gum, that has 97% household penetration. Okay, We're the biggest player. Our household penetration in a year across our entire portfolio of brands can be in the 80 to 90% range, which means as a media person throughout the year, I'm going to need to reach just about everybody in the United States at some point. Maybe I only reach them at Valentine's or Halloween or, you know, but at some point I need to reach everybody. So first party data plays a role, but it can't be the only thing I pursue because, okay, to reach everybody, I'm going to need like first party data on 100 million people, maybe 200 million people to really be effective. So first party data is a part of our strategy, but it can't be the whole strategy. What I find in the industry right now is everybody wants to lead with that because that's kind of the hot thing. And we're like, okay, we can talk about that. And that plays a role, but it it can't be the total solution. And the one thing that we're going after is just getting as much first-party data as we possibly can. That being said, and not even the United States can get 100% first-party data. No. How do you set goals for that? Is it like, hey, we want to know 10% of US customers? Yeah, we're really in those stages right now of determining what is, it's sort of what's the optimal level of to get. Because at some point you're getting more, but then to go get more, you have to spend more. I don't know that we've determined that number exactly yet. What it comes down to is getting some data, using it, seeing what the value is, and then creating the use case to say, if we had more, we could get even more value. So, you know, whatever, if you have just for small numbers, you have 5 million today and you generate so much value. 
could you double your value if you had 10? You know, and that's what you have to do is go through that process and start with what you have, build and build. At some point, you're probably going to reach a point where the cost of going and getting more, the value is going to decrease out of it. And then you sort of found your optimal point. I'd say we're still in the process of determining that. One of the things that we were talking about a little bit earlier is the whole idea of how to allocate, but a lot of this ties back to the changing purchase behaviors. There have been questions, and I know that you and Rachel really work on this kind of stuff on a regular basis, that even though the brand discovery might happen in one place, the conversion might happen in another place. And when we think about unplanned purchases, mm-hmm. like a lot of the categories that you play in, particularly one would say, you know, gum and mints, if nothing else, certainly chocolate. I am definitely a, uh, <laughs> I plan and unplanned, but that's a whole other story. How do you think about the role that social commerce plays or how that path changes in light of the fact that people aren't necessarily doing it the way they used to? Yeah, no, it it is a big area of focus. And also I'd say a big opportunity, especially when you get back to retailer media, because that unplanned impulse purchase, as you said, is very important to our category. And in the brick and mortar context, you know, we've had decades of work. Our retail partners have had decades of work of mastering that and figuring that out and become very successful. You're exactly right. In the digital worlds, you're missing some of those points. And so, you know, this is one of the areas where we're doing a lot of focus right now. And honestly, it has to be a partnership with our retail partners because you can say, well, okay, in the digital world, if the consumer is shopping that way, we're losing a bunch of touch points that we used to have before. I kind of view it as we're actually gaining more. I mean, look at yourself. How many notices did you get that your product's ready? It's now going to be shipped. It's in trans, you know, all different things. There's a bunch of new touch points that are being made that I think we have to work with our retail partners together to say, how do we figure out how to make that impulse purchase? And a lot of times what we're finding is just, it's not just our category. It's just people don't remember. It's that suggestive sell. Oh, for sure. I mean, I bought marshmallows the other day and I got served up. It's more season. Yes. I mean, you guys obviously know what you're doing, but that's very different than maybe your freestanding display. Correct. That also has your traditional honeymade Jeff Puffed Hershey's. So the new version of that does manifest itself in those, hey, did you forget this? Or we're about to complete this. You can still, you can still fill your cart. Yeah. And I think what we're all learning together is how to make sure we walk that fine line so it doesn't become annoying. Because there are times where it's like, I just need to close the sale because I have to get on to something else. And so one of the other things we're starting to talk about that we're seeing is this behavior, especially with click and collect, is the second basket. You're starting to see as the click and collect behavior starts to settle in, you're seeing many consumers who will do all that and set all that up. But it's like, I'm going in the store to get my produce or I'm going in my store to get this. And they almost start to do that every time. So again, okay, how do we start to think about using that second basket? Now there you're talking about some of your traditional sort of brick and mortar, cardboard displays, racks in different parts of the store, because they're physically walking into the store. It may be a different part of it. But then at the same time, can you also just interrupt them digitally as well? That's part of what I think everybody's trying to discover. And it has to be a joint partnership with our retailers because the solution lies on both ends to figure out what's the best way to be able to drive this. Charlie, we could pick your brain forever, but uh, sadly, we have to ask you our famous last question, which is, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? I think it's a great question. And I'm going to go with one that was both professional and personal. 
Before I worked at Hershey, I worked for another CPG and I sought the opportunity to actually go on an expat assignment and live overseas and had the chance to live in Geneva, Switzerland. Now, in some ways, it's not brave to move to Geneva. It's a very nice place to live and things like that. But my business responsibilities were the personal care business for Procter & Gamble in Central and Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. I had about 114 countries, managed a portfolio of brands, and working in a different part of the world where the the business challenges were very, very different. I mean, you look at what's happening in that part of the world today, and while not on that scale, those are the things you dealt with all the time. It really taught me, it got me out of my comfort zone, being a native-born American, working in the U.S. market where I was born, working in completely different markets. I learned more in those two and a half years as a marketer, as a leader than anything else that I ever done. And then personally, I went over with my spouse. We had two kids. Our third was born while we were there. Just navigating that experience together because as partners, it was very different challenges of what we did. My wife was working before we left. She couldn't work there. I mean, she was a physician and couldn't get a work permit. So we had a lot of those changes that we went through. So it was a short experience. It was an incredibly valuable experience. And I think what I learned from it, I encourage people is just find however you're going to get out of your comfort zone in some point of your career, because that is one of the fastest ways you're going to learn to grow. You're going to face a lot of failure. I know I did in those days, but the benefits have paid off are unbelievable. I had no idea that was part of your story. So I love learning that. Yeah. Does your third child have dual citizenship? No, it's funny though, because when it says, well, where were you born? He has to say, Switzerland, you know, which is a little tiny little area outside of Geneva. And so hearing him say that when he was like four years old was so cute. Uh, (laughs) Love that. Well, I know for a fact this episode is going to be passed around. Charlie, thank you for your wisdom on retail media, on brand, on first party data. Make sure to follow him on LinkedIn, folks. And Sarah and I will see you on the other side. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.